and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 9, the Austrian Grand Prix. Well, what a race. Max Verstappen won for the second successive time at the Red Bull Ring, but it was far from straightforward, with a late charge and a perfect strategy lining him up in a memorable duel with Charles Leclerc for victory. But ironically, on a weekend Mercedes struggled, it was Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas who nonetheless played influential factors in deciding the outcome. To talk us through F1's best race of the season to date, I'm joined by F1 editor at Crash.net, Luke Smith. Luke, how are you doing? I'm good, Michael. How are you doing? Doing very well. I must set the scene. We're in this wonderful, <laughs> idyllic Austrian farmscape surrounded by, I assume, the Styrian Mountains. I don't know how many mountain ranges there are around here. <laughs> Not far from the circuit on a Monday, after which Formula One really got everything it wanted after a couple of fairly average races. Yeah, Formula One is saved. It's, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's been a, a difficult start to the year for, I think, F1 as a whole, and we've not seen much action. But, uh, yeah, Austria delivered, as it seems to every single year now. I mean, I can't remember the last time we had a, a dull race here. Mm. Um, a really, really fantastic spectacle match. Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc fighting for victory. That's what we've wanted for, I think, a very, very long time and finally mm. getting a real taste of F1's future. So, uh, yeah, it's it's safe. We, we've got the spot back. It's wonderful. <laughs> there is something to be said about classic circuits in wonderful settings. A great crowd as well, as has been pretty much since Max Verstappen rocked up. Always the case. They're all Dutch. Uh, I'm <laughs> dreading the drive back to Vienna today because I know that they'll be on their roads with the caravans. But something else we should set the scene of. Right now, we are outside. Extremely sunny, quite warm that was certainly the theme of this weekend similar to Paul Ricard with slightly different effects as we'll get into but heat and the presence of hot weather really dominated this weekend it did yeah I think we arrived at the track on Thursday for media day and it it was awfully humid as well and then Mm. we had a big uh, rainstorm on the Thursday night Um, but that didn't really um, continue into the rest of the weekend it just sort of paved the way for more warm weather Um, so uh, yeah every day was about 32 degrees Celsius so it was it was very very hot and that was another challenge for the drivers as well managing the tires obviously in these in these difficult uh, heat conditions Uh, that was something for them to consider and it did play a big role I think in uh, deciding Sunday's race. Yeah, I forgot about the rain. Good thing we did because I feel like it could have been one of those situations where we all anticipate rain that will yeah, never arrive. and always let down. Yeah, exactly. But the skies were wonderful and blue and that was actually to our advantage. Not so much to the advantage of Mercedes though. This We didn't expect them to suffer quite as much as they did because of the heat but I suppose we and certainly they and they've now admitted this had the signs that this could have been the case from from races past you know Canada for example was a, a difficult race for Valtteri Bottas because of overheating and it seems like in a year that Mercedes almost feels like it's invincible it does have this one weakness it does yeah and that is something Mercedes have always been very good at they identify these little areas where they're running a little bit weak and they obsess over it and work over it and uh, I think this is something that they will go away and look at and uh, yeah as, as you rightly said in Canada we got a sort of a taste of what could come and then uh, here in Austria uh, obviously we're running a, a fairly high altitude for a European race as mm. well so that comes into it and uh, a short circuit meaning you're always pretty much going to be stuck in some kind of traffic um, and it did play a big role that they really had to sort of I think pull off some of the performance of the car just to deal with all of these uh, overheating and cooling issues that it was facing so uh, yeah I think that's something that going forward they'll obviously look at improving but uh, it meant that for the first time this this season Mercedes wasn't the team to beat mm. and Valtteri Bottas Lewis Hamilton just to illustrate how much of an effect that was happening in their race they were talking about 400 meters of lifting and coasting which around the circuit I'm tragic they don't actually have the length of the circuit on uh, me it's but 
three kilometers. So, so that's, that, that's like 10% yeah, of the almost, track yeah. where they're just doing nothing. <laughs> exactly. So it's incredible how much that was really affecting their car. I think Toto Wolf quipped afterwards the only way to get more cooling would be to take off the bodywork. So <laughs> that's something to keep an eye on. But I mean, maybe we should also be concerned that it seems like every time they have an unusual struggle of a Grand Prix, they always come back extremely strong. Mm. So be wary for Silverstone, perhaps. Uh, another factor in that, as you sort of said, they're always in traffic uh, at a circuit like this. But I mean, from the beginning, they were going to be behind cars because they did not excel in the way we expect them to in qualifying. This was a pole for Charles Leclerc, his career second, Ferrari's third of the season. Looked like maybe that was going to finally deliver his maiden victory. But interesting in qualifying was that we had this real divergence in entire strategy, even this early in the weekend, where we had, well, I mean, I say divergence, only three cars, the two Mercedes and Max Verstappen choosing that medium tyre. And that sort of split opinion amongst the teams and even people watching whether or not that was going to be the right decision. It did, yeah. And uh, honestly, I I don't, didn't see any big gain for it um, mm. from my point of view. And we've seen uh, other races where teams have done that. And uh, I think a, a race earlier this year, Ferrari, for example, went for mediums and Mercedes went for the softs. And it, it opens up some more strategy options. But at a track like here where the mediums and the softs were actually pretty well matched, it doesn't do you a huge amount of good. Um, so Ferrari went for the softs, and uh, we saw with uh, Charles Leclerc through the first stint that they were able to pull away quite nicely from the rest of the pack, and we didn't see any massive drop-off towards the end of Leclerc's stint. And uh, other drivers through the field as well were able to manage the softs for quite a long amount of time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was that big a deal, but uh, naturally you always want to look like you made the right call, and Mercedes <laughs> after qualifying were like, oh, it's quite risky what Leclerc's done here, and... Uh, it was uh yeah i think a bit of gamesmanship really but um yeah i think for the most part at a track like this it wasn't like poor card where if you didn't start mm. on the mediums you would be in big big trouble um yeah i think it was a minimal gain to be made either way c2 c3 and c4 for those playing along at home with the tires <laughs> that pirelli brought to this uh interesting to consider some of the reasons ferrari was quick here beside the fact that there aren't very many corners which <laughs> seems to be the go with ferrari uh and especially in regard to the soft tire which they clearly felt although there was not so much difference between the soft and the medium felt was was going to be fine on their car regardless of the length of the stint in that opening phase and we'll talk exactly about the timing of Leclerc's first pit stop in a second but he seemed like he was comfortable to run a little bit longer if the medium cars did and it seems to play into this idea that okay Ferrari doesn't have great corner performance but maybe the fact that they're going more slowly through these corners have terrific traction seems to be a strength of that car means that on the softer tyres they're actually sort of doing okay on circuits like this relative to some of the other higher wear cars. Definitely, and I think that's been a trend through the year that once they've made that first stop and they moved on to either mediums or hards, that we have seen a bit of a dip in performance, um, most notably in Canada when Hamilton was able to reel in Vettel mm. as he did. And uh, yeah, I think that, that does benefit. And I think Leclerc was a little bit surprised after the race that he was able to go as long as he did um, on the softs. Could have gone longer as we'll get on to. Um, but we're seeing, I think we're seeing that Ferrari, yeah, on that soft compound, they are able to, I think, just push a little bit more, work a little bit better. Um, and this weekend as well, they shifted their philosophy a little bit. So they put a little mm-hmm. bit more downforce on the car. And uh, yeah, they were able to uh, d- able to manage that really, really well. That certainly played a part in Leclerc's race. If we go into the, the race strategy itself, we should highlight first, 
first of all, that Lewis Hamilton did start slightly further back than he expected, though did make up a position from Max Verstappen's terrible start, uh, which ends up being terrifically ironic given that he won the race, spoiler <laughs> alert. But we'll talk exactly about how he got there uh, momentarily because his first phase of the race really set up Max Verstappen's win without him being involved at all. This was purely a race at this point between Max Verstappen and the Mercedes and with a numerical advantage and not realising how much they are going to suffer on in the heat, which they also said they sort of underestimated a little bit, maybe because it was slightly hotter on uh, Sunday than it was during practice. But they used that advantage to be able to pressure Leclerc into stopping earlier than he would have liked. We saw Mercedes split its strategies. Bottas in second pitted early, despite having on the mediums. Lap 21 it was, uh, while Hamilton continued to run. Uh, And that meant that Leclerc, okay, he had the soft tyre you would have expected him to stop early, but really had that tyre life, Ferrari said, to run longer. And suddenly his last stint is quite long, which played a role towards the end of the race. Yeah, and uh, towards the end of his first stint as well, he said to Ferrari, let me know when I can start pushing. So mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't going to, uh, I guess, the full extent that he could at that point. Um, and they gave him a target that he was already running three tenths under. So clearly he was sort of saving up, I think, quite a bit to mm-hmm. push towards the end of that first soft tyre stint. And, uh, but then, as you say, Bottas came in and Ferrari had to react to that. So we saw Leclerc come in uh, one lap later. And uh, obviously it's a standard thing. And at that point, they were really looking at Bottas I think was about three or four seconds behind Mm -hmm. as being the main rival for victory I mean Hamilton was another couple of seconds back not really in the picture Um, Verstappen was 13 seconds off so Mm -hmm. you wouldn't even consider him being an option Um, so Ferrari uh, we give them a lot of stick for uh, their strategy calls this year and a lot of questions uh, Mm. about what they've done at certain races but I think here they did play they played the game perfectly hindsight's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing but I think they they were right to focus on Bottas and react to him as they did when they did. Ironically, it was the pace management early in the race that sort of hid Mercedes' problems. It would become obvious when people started pushing towards the end of the race and the field started bunching up because Bottas looked like he was going to be more or less there, as you said. It seemed like he wasn't quite on the level of Leclerc, and we know Leclerc was conserving, but everyone was kind of shadow boxing a little bit in that early mm. part of the race not willing to blink first and, and Mercedes took the initiative again because they had that numerical advantage then after that stop with Hamilton running long it seemed like maybe he was suddenly going to be in the box seat because he was very comfortable in those tyres he radioed his team saying you know he tyres felt good he had plenty of room to go and then all of a sudden the pace dropped off mm. and everything started to go wrong for Mercedes pretty much from this point. Yeah, and at that point, I think we were looking at Hamilton as being a serious contender for victory um, because he was he was doing the strategy that uh, ultimately won Verstappen the race. He was mm. planning on doing that long first stint, maybe try and get a bit of a, an overcut, but at best, um, sorry, at worst, uh, he ends up uh, getting much fresher tyres for that final stint in the race. Um, so, uh, yeah, he was pushing on, matching Leclerc for pace, even though Leclerc had new tyres. Uh, and then, yeah, um, an error at Turn 10, uh, which has caught out so many drivers this weekend, mm. running over the curve, causing a little bit of damage to his front wing. And uh, we saw his time start to drop off at about uh, a second a lap to the others. And uh, Mercedes took the call and pitted him earlier than they wanted to, had to do a front wing change as well. And from there it was game over i mean p5 was uh, where he came out and that would be his end result as well mm-hmm. it was a 12 second stop so costing you at least six seconds pretty much and then the overheating that came to bear meant he was essentially out of contention when he made that stop on lap 30 it was max verstappen who inherited the lead when only one more lap on his soft tires uh, and then pitted uh, for new hards 
And this is where suddenly the race turned in a completely different direction because Leclerc had stopped earlier than he could have, was on used hard tyres as well. They weren't new hard tyres that he switched to. And Verstappen and that Red Bull car just seemed to be so happy on that compound. Maybe it was just Verstappen, considering that the other Red Bull car didn't seem as happy. <laughs> That's perhaps another story altogether. But just made absolute mincemeat of the top three in a way that, well, imagine if Hamilton had had that kind of performance or imagine if Leclerc had been able to run longer. Uh, he almost embarrassed them for how much faster he was than everybody else. Yeah, it was incredible. And I think, strangely, we, we didn't see this coming because of his FP2 crash from Friday. So mm-hmm. we couldn't look at any long runs and go, oh, Red Bull are looking good on the hard set. Um, he, he was just uh, on another planet to the rest of the field on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, he had, uh, I think, uh, 10 lap ten lap fresher tyres mm-hmm. compared to Leclerc, which um, doesn't sound like a huge amount. But, as you say, with Leclerc using used tyres as well, that adds another few in. And uh, he was able just to get it all hooked up so so well and um, Leclerc said after the race that he was pretty disappointed overall with his race pace but it was the degradation on those hards through that stint that really really hurt him so for Verstappen just to be able to have I guess all the freedom to push and push and push mm-hmm. um, it was it was a masterful display coming through the field some lovely overtakes but um, also just really good management of his tyres because I mean he still had what 40 laps to go to get to the end mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah that's no small feat so yeah a massively impressive display from him it is just such a step forward for Verstappen compared to maybe only a little over 12 months ago because 12 months ago he did win this race (laughs) but not long before that you would easily have expected him to to bottle these kind of moves we had Mm. okay so Valtteri Bottas didn't put too much up uh, didn't put up too much for fight and we'll talk about that in a moment Sebastian Vettel tried but ultimately that car didn't have the pace at that point in the race then we had this great battle with Charles Leclerc who obviously wanted his maiden victory he had pole would have been a very good result for him but Verstappen was so collected. And I do want to highlight, not so much lap 69 when the pass was made, but lap 68, we had this superb battle up at turn three, which really just gave this great vision, I suppose, into what Formula 1 can expect from this next generation. Both only 21 years old. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And uh, yeah, on that lap, we saw uh, Verstappen, uh, the lap before, try to move, Leclerc defended pretty easily um and this time around yeah Verstappen got his car up the inside looked to have the move done uh but Leclerc uh, hung his car out wide got better traction exiting the corner was able to just pull back ahead and get the position back uh, mm-hmm. on the run to turn four and uh yeah it was, it was just a, a great fight between them and that's what we want to see moving forward and uh, obviously we had the touch when uh, Verstappen did make the final overtake mm-hmm. for the leads and uh, all that followed with that but again that was and the stewards ruled correctly it was hard racing and that's what we want to see um and and I think on Verstappen, as you rightly say, it's a, it's a maturity that 12 months ago, 13 months ago, mm-hmm. um, we may not have seen. Um, because with uh, Vettel, uh, it took him, I think, three goes to get past. But he was patient. He wasn't going to jump it. He wasn't going to make a, a mistake or crash. Um, he was patient enough to do that. Bottas didn't put up any fight first time around. Leclerc, that was a third go as well. Um, and that's what we want to see from Max. Like Ultimately, he knew he had the time. He knew he had the pace. Uh, and also, Leclerc himself knew that he he said after the race that even without that touch, he mm-hmm. wasn't going to keep the position because Max was just so much faster. So that's how Mercedes ultimately decided the race. Well, I shouldn't say decided, <laughs> but had a fairly substantial influence in the outcome of this race and helping Max Verstappen to win. I do want to touch back on Bottas, though, and Sebastian Vettel. It was the... The quiet and very, very brief fight for the final podium <laughs> plays. But it came about from what seemed like another strange Ferrari situation. Uh, it started with that pit stop for Vettel on lap 21. Uh, it was slow. It was about twice as long, mm. six seconds long, uh, as it should have been. Twice as long as it should have been, I should say, because there was a communication error in the garage. Apparently the radio didn't work. Yeah. So. 
Ferrari finding new and inventive ways to make mistakes, <laughs> despite this race actually being fairly good for them. Uh, and that resulted in him being a little bit off the, the fight for the lead. But then the second stop, which he was the only one of two drivers, I think it was, uh, the only driver who was really competing for points, I should say, as well, who made a second stop, stopped onto the soft compound tyre on lap 50 just after he was passed by Max mm. Verstappen. Seemed like, I don't know, an unusual way to perhaps try and get the fastest lap point, maybe just have a bit of a fight with Hamilton. But this actually was extremely clever from Ferrari because it put him in the battle for the podium in a way he wouldn't have been uh, just challenging Leclerc on the same set of tyres. Yeah. Uh, Bottas, I should say. Correct, yeah. Um, strategic brilliance from Ferrari, which <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Um, and it was, again, they just thought on their feet and that they saw that the Mercedes were struggling so much. Uh, Vettel obviously was struggling with his hard tyres, mm-hmm. was easily picked off by Verstappen. Um, so yeah, they thought, well, if there's that much of a gap to Bottas, why don't we just try and get another set of softs on at worst, yeah, he was always going to pass Hamilton um, and then go for the fastest lap as well. So it's a chance to get an extra bonus point. And in the end, yeah, he came, I think, within six tenths of uh, getting mm-hmm. that final place off Bottas, um, which is really what I think Vettel and Ferrari deserved. I think they were both supreme all weekend long. Um, Vettel was so unlucky in Q3 to have an issue that meant he couldn't mm. uh, qualify uh, properly. Uh, and from ninth, he picked his way up the order nicely. Um, so, uh, yeah, the two-stop strategy, a bit of a bit of a weird flex, but okay. <laughs> and it was, um, but it, it worked, and it was the right thing, I think, for Ferrari to do at that point. Um, and that also, if we'd seen Vettel running two, three seconds a lap quick or whatever, that mm-hmm. would have also been good for Leclerc's race as well, to sort of say, right, well, this could be an option. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Ferrari, they deserve a lot of credit for, I think, everything this weekend, uh, apart from their radio mouth. <laughs> yeah, someone uh, changed the radio station, perhaps, <laughs> in the garage. To touch on uh, how Bottas approached this, there was a little bit of criticism for Valtteri Bottas for not putting up much of a fight, as we mentioned, against Max Verstappen. Verstappen was substantially faster, but hey, it was a fight for the podium. Maybe you expect him to fight a little bit harder. But when it comes down to those six-tenths of a second at the very end of the race, uh, it sort of put that, puts that a little bit in perspective, doesn't it? Because had Bottas lost even an extra lap fighting Max Verstappen, Perhaps those six-tenths of a second would have been reversed. He said it only would have taken maybe an extra lap or so, considering the state that Mercedes was in in that Mm. weather, for Vettel to overcome him. So actually some... If we want to be kind, at very least, some astute driving from Valtteri Bottas in that regard. Definitely, yeah. You've got to pick your battles and I think just be aware of the race that you're you're in. And I think Bottas knew at that point that he, he was never going to win that race. Mm-hmm. Um, Verstappen was in contention. So, yeah, why put up the fight? What's the point of, uh, yeah, I guess uh, putting yourself in a, a bigger hole um, just to try and uh, keep up, uh, keep the position for another couple of laps? So we can say a rare congratulations to Ferrari for maximising pretty much uh, this race, <laughs> even if they didn't achieve victory uh, or even a double podium in the end. But still, some, some good decision-making, if not for one or two small problems. So the podium was Verstappen, Leclerc and Bottas. Sebastian Vettel was close behind, followed by Lewis Hamilton. But in sixth place was a... I'm running out of superlatives. Superb. Let's just go with that. It's pretty boring. But anyway, <laughs> Lando Norris for McLaren. Uh this was just, uh, he ran a different strategy to most other people. It seemed like an error at one point. Qualified quite high, lost some positions early, made them back up. This was just sort of a, a perfect race for him, though. Him and McLaren, it should be said, because we'll talk about Carlos Sainz in a moment. But it doesn't seem like there's anything McLaren can give Lando Norris to do that he can't do. Yeah, and it's incredible for a driver of, what, 19 years old who's mm. in his rookie F1 season. And uh, we saw, I think, 
most clearly with Stoffel van Dorn, just how difficult it can be to make mm. that step up. But Lando's kind of just taken it all in his stride and, and with, with real uh, real aplomb. And uh, it, it was a, a brilliant drive from him. I think he made a, an incredible start to uh, sweep up as high as third at one point ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, you got to pick your battles. He knew he couldn't fight with them at the front, um, but he was able to get ahead of uh, Kimi Raikkonen, which was uh, important. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, yeah, managed his race perfectly. Um, but when he came in and fitted the mediums instead of the hards, it did seem like an error and it seemed difficult to see that he would be able to get to the end of the race. I think he had to go 45 laps roughly on that set. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did it and it was a perfect, perfect display from him, I think, to, to get home as he did. And um, ultimately, Pierre Gasly has been struggling this year, but that Red Bull is still significantly faster than the McLaren. Yeah, Lando was able to just deal with it very easily and never really looks at risk of losing six so mm-hmm. uh yeah an excellent excellent display and i think deserves a lot of credit for how he has started life in formula one so lap 25 stop off his soft tires oh, having qualified in q3 no no you got it right uh, because then he ran i guess that's 45 oh yeah quick wow, maths. Okay. It's not so great. no wow. you got it got it bang on just My giving work. just putting in the details <laughs> uh running on that medium compound tire and i suppose this goes to the fact that despite having of course the three different steps of tires they were all Relatively evenly matched. It depends mm. on how the car chose to work the tyres, but the medium tyres made it very comfortably to the end with Norris, and that speaks, of course, to his ability to manage them. But it was interesting that towards the end of the race, he even said that he had enough reserve. Of course, he was keeping Gasly behind. He was keeping Gasly behind for most of the race, from around lap 35. Mm. That's a great amount of time to hold back a car that's faster than yours. Uh, but had enough in reserve to never feel like, had Gasly gotten an extra power mode or whatever with running the same engines, he wouldn't have been able to defend against it. Uh, in fact, it speaks to that fact that he, he set his fastest lap, I think, on the penultimate lap of this wow. race. So there was plenty of left in that tyre. It's not as if he was really ragged on the edge. Mm. And I suppose as much as that speaks to Norris's abilities, this is a big step forward that we're now sort of confirming over the last maybe two or three races for McLaren after having so many years of being essentially nowhere. Yeah, and uh, we're now seeing them, I think, firmly as the fourth fastest team. And mm. uh, this midfield fight for all of the talk about how close it's been and how it's a, a couple of tenths between being fourth and being ninth and uh, the last few races we've seen I think a very clear trend that it, it is McLaren who are they are fourth fastest they are the midfield leaders and uh, another really strong double score for them in Austria mm-hmm. they're now 20 points clear of Renault in the Constructors Championship um, and a long way ahead of the uh, the other midfielders so it's uh, it's incredible I think for a team that yeah as you say have struggled for so long um, in F1 and after all the change last year going to this year there may be some some concerns about well who's been involved in the design process of this car um are people in the right places the mcl34 is a, a very 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 good car and uh, in in all areas i mean even even not sort of like looking at straight line speed and things like that we saw norris able to hold his own throughout this race uh, in previous races as well um so yeah i think they deserve a lot of credit for how they've uh, recovered and uh, it's really exciting to see them fighting so high up the order so consistently and uh, yeah you've got to think that if it wasn't for the bulletproof reliability of these top mm-hmm. three teams that a podium isn't too far off for them yeah an interesting thing to consider actually yeah because why well, you've got to think that maybe one day we might get some some kind of reliability problem amongst the top three and then yes McLaren would be perfectly placed and it seems strange to think they'd get on the podium but hey it's been that long for them hasn't it uh, Sainz uh, I should say Gasly finished behind Norris as we've said but Sainz also put in 
uh, an excellent race himself because while Norris uh, more or less managed to hold the position he qualified in, Sainz started from last. Mm. He was from the very back with an engine penalty, uh, a full power unit change to start from the back penalty, uh, which means he climbed, what's that, 12, 13 positions, mm. a lot of positions one way or another. Did this with the, which what we I suppose we can call it the true Contra strategy. While we had a couple of drivers, Max Verstappen being one of them, running long on the medium tyre, no one ran quite as long as Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo, we'll be talking about in a moment relative to Sainz's performance ran to lap 41 on the medium tie before switching to hards and again i suppose this just underlined how comfortable that car was on all of the tires because mm. he only dropped down to i think it was 13th after he stopped or maybe 15th then recovered really easily with hard tires that were much fresher than everybody else's so a sort of hyper version of the Verstappen strategy <laughs> uh sliced his way through there and only finished not so far anything 10 or 11 seconds behind pierre gasly mm. uh we've talked about pierre gasly in episodes <laughs> past so i won't be tempted to do it again but to finish almost, uh, let's effectively say, 1-2 in this Class B, despite yeah. finishing last, just really underlines how impressive that car is and these two hungry young drivers. Definitely, yeah. And uh, I think Science said after the race that he picks up a little bit of front wing damage late on, so that even yeah. stinted his char- stunted sorry, his charge uh, even more. Uh, yeah, and it just, again, another excellent display. And, uh, yeah, it did prove once again that how that long first stint would benefit you later in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But as you say just shows that this car it can deal with anything really it's a very well-rounded car it's not a case of some some circuits it clearly works and others it doesn't um which the other midfield teams yeah that mm. is the case uh Haas still trying to get to the bottom of their issues racing point Renault really really struggled this weekend McLaren just seem able to deal with anything right now which is uh yeah I think really testament to as you say not only the, the car itself but also the two fantastic young drivers as a point of comparison let's end with uh, Renault and Daniel Ricciardo who they, they didn't qualify very well. They didn't look happy at this circuit, did Renault? I think Ricardo identified that there's some kind of fundamental issue with the car mm. on this type of circuit, or perhaps more generally considering the inconsistency of that team. Uh, I mean, we only have to go back one week, and when they were looking very good, we were suddenly yeah. talking about Renault finally consolidating <laughs> fourth place. He ran a very similar strategy to Sainz, having started higher up, albeit. Uh, in the middle part of the race, just before uh, Sainz stopped, so let's say around lap 40, he was only four seconds behind Sainz. He ran, however, till lap 46, then chose the soft tyres I guess deciding that that was how long the soft tyres would be really aggressive for Uh, he lost a great deal of time 15 seconds in waiting to make that stop didn't end up so far back he ended up six seconds behind signs but out of the points by four positions Mm. it shows that car is just not just does not have that same ability as the McLaren I suppose and and Ricardo sort of hinted afterwards as well that perhaps the strategy should have dictated an earlier stop not the first time he said something similar and perhaps indicating a little bit of a lack of of match fitness if you like in the Renault strategy department yeah definitely and I think uh, Renault obviously is going on this big rebuild right now and uh, Ricardo's arrival being a huge part of that but there are operational things that you do have to work on and you do have to get right I think uh, to begin with and uh, yeah something such as this is is very very important I think uh, Ricardo's maybe adjusting to life in a a smaller team after Mm -hmm. so many years with Red Bull Um, and uh, yeah it does mean that certain things will slip through the net such as this and uh, it was uh, I think uh, there was a chance for them to just yeah I don't know it was a difficult weekend all around for them but they could have maybe tried to be a little bit more sensible with the strategy and just I Mm -hmm. guess played it safe 
and followed what uh, what looked like the sensible way to go. But uh, yeah, it, it just it just didn't work for them in the end. Just a weekend to forget for Renault, but a weekend to remember for a great many more teams, uh, not least of all, of course, Red Bull Racing. And I should say, as a quick final note, uh, Honda's first win mm. as an engine supplier otherwise since 2006, a long time coming. Some teary scenes. Yeah. You've got to love the Japanese. <laughs> uh, and that's a big result, not just for the fact that this is Honda's first win, but this does, I suppose, signify the entry that we've now had all four engine manufacturers win in this era. Uh, of course, the era is coming, I suppose, in some respects, to an end in not too distant future, whether that's just chassis or otherwise. But uh, a, a big boon for competitiveness in Formula One. Definitely, yeah. And after all the struggles that Honda have had through uh, through their return in F1, um, it's it was really good just to see that they finally got it right. And they've they've worked so hard over the last few years to recover from the difficulties they had with McLaren. And then signing this Red Bull deal, there were still some doubts and concerns. But uh, yeah, just a massive, massive result for them. And it proves that, okay, they may not have quite the performance of maybe any of the other three manufacturers mm-hmm. but they're, they are, they are close enough so that on a day like Sunday where the stars align just enough and you've got a driver like Max Verstappen in your car that engine is more than good enough for victory um, really really well deserved uh, I think they're first since San Marino no sorry Hungary 2006 yeah. wasn't it of course yeah, yeah. Um, and it was the first front row since San Marino 2006 ah, I see. So. Ah, very and good. they um, they uh, yeah they deserve it because Honda have worked so hard and uh, as you said some sort of teary scenes in the in the paddock after the race which was lovely to see because they care and that's how hard mm. they've worked and they've really been through the ringer you could have easily forgiven Honda for saying look it's not worked we're gonna go uh, but they stuck at it and they've got what they deserve now um, Verstappen said after the race that he felt that um, it would maybe remove some doubts that people had about this Red Bull Honda project going forward but I think one other thing that was on my mind just after the race was that I wonder what this means for Verstappen's future on a weekend Mm -hmm. where discussions about an exit clause and things like that in his contracts have come up for him now to have won a race and be third in the championship, which seemed to be the two rumoured triggers to say there is no exit clause. He's now got it. So what does that mean for next year and his future? Is it now decided? Um, I don't know. But uh, yeah, a really big day for Honda. I think they can be excited for uh, the future moving forward as well. Yeah, it's a big day for Honda. Big day for Formula One because it's fixed. You've heard it here. Not first because everyone's been saying it. We'll wait and see how the next race goes in Silverstone. But Luke, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you in such an idyllic setting. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to come back here next year. (laughs) (laughs) That was Crash.net F1 editor Luke Smith. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it now for free on iOS and Android devices. And if you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcasting app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Austrian Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice to hear Rob James and I I declare that yes, F1 is finally saved. I've been Michael Abinato. Look me up at Michael Abinato on Twitter. And I'll catch you in a couple of weeks for an analysis of the British Grand Prix.